Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Range of Capital. With me as always is my co-host and the founder of Range of Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, February 16th. Today we're going to talk about the three most interesting things we've seen and been thinking about in the market over the past week. Uh, those three things are Apollo's buyout. Uh, there are two of them. They are buying out another Apollo and ADT, which was announced this morning. And then there's activism at the closed-end fund, First Trust Dividend, ticker FAV. So, Chris, what do you want to kick it off with? Well, uh, since it was announced uh, this morning after the long weekend, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the ADT buyout? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is Apollo buying out the uh, global kind of home security service firm ADT. A lot of people might have them for home security. Uh, I think we're interested in this deal for two reasons. It's a really big private equity deal at a really big premium. So this is about a $10 billion deal. And I think people have really been concerned with uh, the LBO financing market, the debt financing market recently. And this kind of shows maybe that market isn't dead. It's still open. Uh, a bunch of banks had to requ- had to give financing to this deal in order for it to be announced. Uh, Barclays, Citi, DB, RBC are all providing about $6 billion worth of financing. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's what's most interesting. What about you? Well, I was looking at another Apollo deal. I was looking at the Apollo Education, uh, APOL, getting mm-hmm. bought by Apollo Global, APO. No relation or no prior relation. <laughs> Soon to be a lot of relation. They're going to keep the name. They're going to keep yep. the old name and the old signs. The deal is at $9.50, all cash. The net spread at the close was $0.65. Cents. That's a 15% annualized return if the deal closes by September, as I fully expect. Mm-hmm. Maybe even by August. We'll see. And uh, the uh, deal uh, we expect to uh, close, uh, there are a couple risks worth mentioning. It requires some novel regulatory approvals, Department of Education, uh, which has an approval related to Title IV funding. The Higher Learning Commission, uh, they meet three times a year, February, June, and November. We believe it is on the docket for June, so that's going to help with timing. Uh, and uh, that's and, the regulatory process. And Chris, so Apollo uh, International, these are the people who own University of Phoenix. Yep. And why might uh, there be some Department of Education higher learning type risks? Well, uh, because the for-profit industry, which has arisen very, very quickly and has become very, very large, uh, has uh, attracted a lot of skepticism, especially as it relates to Title IV funding. This is government funding Mm -hmm. for – this is student lending, which now, uh, after 2009, is basically essentially the whole funding for this industry, well over 90%. Um, and there is a lot of concern about the companies that uh, that have been created and have grown in order to harvest this subsidy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there has been a very public short thesis yep. that is very related to why there could be DOE risk here. Mm-hmm. That basically the federal government was backstopping these student loans. And the companies were incented to go and make loans to anyone because it was very much a, we take, you had a great quote when we were talking about this earlier, you take 
uh, government risk for market return. Do you want to dive into that a little bit? When you say they'd go anywhere, they literally went to homeless shelters. Yeah. They, need, they needed to be human was pretty much the standard for potential students. But as long as they were... Uh, I was going to say sentient. I think that might even be exaggerating it. They needed to be alive. Uh, and if they were willing to uh, pay uh, the third-party payer that is the government to the tunes of tens of billions of dollars was willing to uh, offer the money. And boy, these for-profit companies, they were willing to take it. And, and when I say they, I need to be even a little careful. They're all the same people. They're back and forth between the regulators and mm-hmm. these companies. So I think in 2008, 2009, these were, for a while, they were kind of the darlings of Wall Street, mm-hmm. you know? In the recession, they offered tremendous growth, mm-hmm. huge cash flows. You know, the, if the government's backing your business, then there's almost no risk. And they were subject to a lot of short pieces where they said, this cannot go on forever. This is insane. There was a lot of kind of the 60 minutes type uh, risk where 60 minutes goes and does a big expose on that. And over the past five, 10 years, these have been really big losers because of that. Earnings have come way down as this. As these risks have played out, uh, they are, they've been trading very cheaply. And I want to talk a little bit about when something is such a popular short target, mm-hmm. sometimes it can overshoot on the downside. And a deal like this can kind of show that it has overshot. Do you want- Absolutely. You know, I, I was at the Iverson conference in 2010 when uh, Steve Eisman uh, presented his uh, short specifically on Apollo, but on this industry generally. And I would just say that he had this incredibly dark a view of human nature and uh, that these are people who are just self-seeking and willing to do almost anything to get ahead. And boy, has he proved to be right <laughs> just time and time again. It doesn't matter how many different situations he's in. Uh, he just really understands incentives. And I haven't seen the movie. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but Steve Eisman was popularly featured in the big short for mm-hmm. he was part of he was one of the people who first shorted the kind of housing crisis. Is, yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, and it is similar. The housing crisis was the same crisis. The SNL crisis was the same crisis his summary at the end was the disaggregation of risk from reward is the fundamental the fundamental cause of all problems and uh he's gotten very rich as a result yeah he's gotten rich betting that that cannot continue forever okay so you had a very public short thesis Mm -hmm. and because of that they were uh apollo the private equity firm was able to buy apollo the business very cheaply. Why don't we talk about – there's one more risk we haven't talked about. It's getting bought so cheaply that there are shareholders who might not approve of this deal. Why don't you dive into the valuation and then we'll go sure. to the shareholders. Uh, so uh, just to connect these different points, the valuation, boy, is it cheap. You know, This is a deal at about one and a half times EBITDA. Uh, the uh, shareholders, two large uh, shareholders, the two largest shareholders uh, oppose the deal. So you have somebody with 14%, somebody else with 9% against the deal. Uh, and it needs a shareholder a vote of both A and B uh, uh, share classes. And uh, so the vote is at risk. Why might it be at risk? Well, uh, because a lot of the people, including people who have taken pain on the way down, uh, see something where now is not the right time to sell necessarily. Uh, When we, uh, having poured through all of these short cases through the years, uh, we see an opportunity to go long here, wholly consistent with whatever we read, everything we read in the past. I mean, mm-hmm. these were not cases that this company is worth zero, but uh, one of the better pieces uh, we read uh, even had a valuation specific to uh, within uh, 12 months. Uh, 
ultimately around March 2016, next month, we believe uh, these shares of Apollo could be worth as little as $17 a share. Uh, so a lot of these cases have built-in draconian uh, uh, public policy response, liabilities, markdowns to get to prices above the uh, price where it trades today. Yep. So I think I might have said earlier, if it's in the news, it's in the price. Yep. And uh, maybe 12 months ago, shares were 30, 40, 50, 60. It kind of wasn't fully baked into the price. But now they've been so beaten down, it's been more than baked into the price. And Apollo, the private equity firm, might be taking advantage of that to buy uh, the company at nine fifty a share. Mm-hmm. And why don't you talk about... How- Aside from EV to EBITDA, how cheap that might be? Well, it's cheap, boy. I mean, a lot of the cash they need for this deal, they get from Apollo, the deal target, Apollo Education, uh, over $400 million. Uh, Very, very little debt, essentially no debt. Uh, They have an international business. They call it global, but let's just say international as an ex-US business that is worth on an enterprise value basis, probably twice what they're paying. I mean, mm-hmm. this is uh, this is the business they diversified into to get out of their uh, domestic problems. Uh, and it's a fine business. So you have cash and international that really leaves any residual U.S. upside uh, uh, from anything that they can eke out of University of Phoenix. Uh, then the last point I would make just about that that's really, uh, you know, that they have a huge margin of safety based on the international business and the cash. Uh, when you look at the merger agreement and you just have to go to the docs and just read through it, um, there clearly was this tension. Uh, uh, Apollo, the buyer, did not go into this without open eyes. They weren't unaware of certain issues surrounding University of Phoenix. In fact, the conditions are very explicit on what has to be achieved. And then in the material adverse effect clause, it's very explicit what doesn't have to be achieved, what's carved out of reasons the buyer could walk away. So both advisors, teams, both companies uh, knew what they were doing. They knew that this was going to be controversial and that it'll be an extremely interesting next half year or so as they go through the process. So, And that's one of the things, when you have a uh, a buyout or a merger of some form in one of these heavily shorted companies, a lot of people go, Oh, those guys are so silly for buying them. They were such a heavily shorted stock. And the answer is, well, if there's such a public short case, that's obviously going to be the first thing you diligence and you build into the deal. So it kind of makes sense. And just to go rough numbers on the valuation, you're closer to it than me, but I think a rough number would be like uh, Apollo, the target. Has three to four dollars per share in cash. Yep. The international business is probably worth you can call it five to ten dollars per share, and so if you add those up, you get low teens ish for just those two. So you're basically paying significantly negative for the U.S. business. And even if you were pretty draconian with any potential fines or liability, they might look at the biggest fine is about one dollar per share yep. is probably the biggest reasonable fine. So. Even there, you're saying, oh, they're getting bought out for below their net worth with this free huge option on University of Phoenix. That, that feel about right to you? It does. I would also say both going into deals and going into uh, dicey situations where I'm looking at the facts and trying to decide if we want to be involved. And if we do, do we want to be on the long yeah. side or short side? I would say a lack of certainty and care about risk is not something that makes me nervous. It's something that makes me comfortable. I'm nervous when a buyer walks in thinking everything's fine, yeah. which was not the case yep. here. So uh, give some comfort that they were uh, justly uh, wary. Exactly. So uh, it'll be interesting. It trades at a discount to the cash closing price.
price. Uh, they clearly think that there's a good chance that DOE and everyone else approves it. Market thinks there's a decent risk, and uh, market's assigning no value for a topping bid. Where with 25% of shares against it, there has to be some chance, I would think. So I, I think, think we're going to head into the shareholder vote with a topic on the table of whether or not there's a price that can get this vote and whether or not that price is closer to $10 than $9.50. It'll be very interesting, so we'll be sure to follow up there. Uh, I feel good with that. Why don't we go to First Trust and Dividend? But before we get there, quick request. Uh, If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. If you already follow us, one way you can really help us is by rating this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you've already done both, the last way you can help us is by sharing us with a friend. So, Chris, why don't we go to First Trust and Dividend? This is a closed-end fund. And how many times do you think we've talked on this podcast about closed-end funds? A bunch. You know, I I like uh, inefficiency and I like the topic of mispricing. And there's a lot of inefficiency and mispricing in the closed-end fund industry. I know. People who've been listening to the podcast will know that normally when it comes to closed-end funds, we've been talking about they're generally sold at a premium to net asset value. Uh, and they're sold to kind of unsophisticated investors, and that works out very poorly for them. In this case, in First Trust and Dividends case, uh, again, the ticker's FAV, they trade for about $7.50 per share, but their net asset value is around $8.20 per share. So there's an 8 to 9% discrepancy there. And in general, that's about right for a fund with uh, First Trust Dividends track record, management fee structure, and everything like that. The kind of interesting thing here is Bulldog, a respected uh, kind of value investor slash closed-end activist fund type investors, has bought up more than 15% of uh, First Trust shares. And they they submitted a proposal that would, quote, afford stockholders an opportunity to realize net asset value. So the way I've been looking at it is... Given their ownership, Bulldog's proposal is, uh, it seems like it's got a decent chance of winning. Any rational investor would say, oh, I've got 90 cents here and a chance to turn it into a dollar immediately. I'll do that. Uh, That's kind of the upside. And then on the downside, you just kind of realize market-like returns. Uh, Another thing that interests me here is the reflexivity. So if you are a shareholder who really wants NAV and you buy the stock, then you are more likely to get NAV because your vote means something and it can help you realize that. What do you think, Chris? I think it's a good opportunity. You know, uh, if it were at uh, NAV, uh, the likelihood you could uh, go through a complex process to unlock that value would be zero. Exactly. If it was trading at zero percent of NAV, I think the likelihood that you could knock, that it could unlock it would be a hundred. And so, kind of as the price changes, you have two ways to win. Uh, and we're indifferent. We just like the winning part uh, and uh, are happy to let it unfold. Uh, uh, come what may. And I, I think one other thing here is, you know, it trades at a discount to NAV, and these got one of the things we've hated on on closed end funds is they charge pretty high expense ratios mm-hmm. in comparison to what you could get from a mutual fund, which gives you liquidity. So it's better and all else absent. And they have no track record of delivering out performance for that e-liquidity and that higher fee. And that certainly applies to First Trust and First Trust case. It's uh, it's not like they've had a terrible track record, but it's cert- there has certainly been no alpha delivered. So I think realizing NAV is a really positive outcome for just about everyone, except for the people who've been collecting the fees. 
Anything else? Uh, there's not a lot of management skill, manager skill out there, and it's not here. So that's not a huge insult to these guys. I don't well, think. I hope they don't feel badly or have their feelings hurt if they're listening to well, this podcast. Well, you're going to have to define here because I'm going to have my feelings hurt if here meant you and me sitting around this microphone. But you don't have to say anything there. Uh, I feel good about everything today. Feel good? Ready to wrap this up? All right. Well, thanks again for listening. Uh, we Please be sure to follow us, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And we will talk to you guys later this week. Thanks again.